Mark. All right, if you've got a Bible this morning, Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Mark chapter 2, and uh, we finished, we just finished last week our series in Colossians. We were in Colossians for, for several uh, weeks, and uh, a couple of months actually, and we just finished that. And so right now we're kind of in between uh, uh, that series and our Christmas series coming up in December. And so right now, from week to week, probably the rest of uh, November, I'm going to just preach on Jesus because, uh, man, you know, I I love expositional preaching. That's usually what we do. We take a book and we go all the way through the Bible, uh, or excuse me, through the book. Uh, But there's times where, uh, man, I I feel like I just want to get back to the Gospels and talk about Jesus Christ. And and it's not that Christ is not in those Gospels or in the uh, other books. Of course he is. Uh, but it's like we dig deep so much around here that, that sometimes I want to get back just to some, some really good practical preaching. And so this morning, Mark chapter 2, the message is entitled, When Jesus is in the House. When Jesus is in the House. And I want to read verses 1 to 12. And as soon as I read that, I'll pray. And then we'll get in the Word together. All right? Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised, that he was in the house. This is, of course, talking about Jesus Christ. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and there come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, in other words, the, the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, and that would have been the faith of the four, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts, whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Powerful story. Let's pray and we'll get into it today. Father, we need you. Uh, Lord, we we humbly bow our heads and confess that this this service is yours. Father, the time uh, that we have here is yours. It's to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We, We are so thankful that we can gather. We're thankful that we can sing. We're thankful that we can open a Bible. And we're thankful that we can learn from your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit does what what he can do and, and what, he, what, what he only can do, reveal the word of God to us today. Lord, teach us from your word by your spirit and may we be strengthened and may we, we honor Christ with, with our decisions today. We, we have opportunity to receive instruction from your word. And so, Lord, I know your desire is that every one of us leave more like Christ when we leave this place, uh, that we have an encounter with you, that we hear teaching from you and that we're brought to a point of decision and, and whether it's salvation, whether it's to be a more effective minister, God, you brought us here to hear from you. And so I pray you have your way in our heart and life and we'll give you the glory for that. And we trust you with that. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, Mark chapter 2, when Jesus is in the house, and, and I, I'm going to break this story down into a couple of points. Again, you've got notes in your, in your seat if you want to follow along. And uh, verses 1 and 2 uh, kind of give us some insight. It, it does say, again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he, Jesus Christ, was in the house. And so your first point in your notes this morning is this. When Jesus is in the house, his fame is made known. His fame is made known. And, and what's interesting, as, as we get into Mark chapter 2, well, Mark chapter 2 follows Mark chapter 1, and all the smart people came to church today, and so listen, you too can be a preacher. Okay, so look, in Mark chapter 2 and verses 21 and 22, we get the backstory to the story that we're reading this morning. It says, they went into Capernaum, this is Jesus and his disciples, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue, and he taught, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. And, and, and in Mark chapter 1, he begins teaching. And listen, when Jesus teaches, people are blown away at his doctrine, the greatest teacher that ever walked this planet. And he's revealing the truth of God's word. In Mark chapter 1, he heals a man that has an unclean spirit. And then in verse, Mark chapter 1 and verse 27, the Bible says, they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority he commandeth even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. The point is, as we get to Mark chapter 2, Jesus has already been in Capernaum. Jesus has already preached. He's already healed a man, and he's already he's done a miracle, and, and people are enamored. They're blown away with, with Jesus, the Son of God. And, and then it's noised that Jesus is back in the house in Capernaum. I mean, I mean, word spread. And, and listen, they didn't have social media and, and you know, all the different things that we have. But, but Mark 1 and verse 28 says, immediately his fame spread throughout the whole region round about Galilee. And so Jesus' reputation spread throughout the region without social media, without the news media, because, you know, who can trust either one of those? The point is, man, I knew that would get an amen out of somebody. Okay. The point is, man, when Jesus is in the house, there's a testimony, there's a, there's, a, there's a noising abroad of his reputation. And as we study this house this morning that he's in, uh, you know, the, there, there's a doctrinal context. We're not going to spend a ton of time on that, but, but, you know, God deals with the house of Israel many times in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. And we find that Jesus Christ is in the house and he's going to heal a man with a palsy. And there's a doctrinal significance to that, how that sick man is a picture of the nation of Israel. But practically speaking, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to understand that the church of Jesus Christ is also called the house of God. Israel is called the house of God. They, they're the house of Israel, but but the church, which is something different than the nation of Israel, is called the house of God. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, listen, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And here's my point. When Jesus is in the house, his fame should be spread throughout the nations, throughout the community, throughout the world. Listen, when he really is in the house, because only he can do what he's going to do. 
Only he can teach and reveal God's word. Only he can do the miracle that we're about to see. He is the son of God. God manifest in the flesh. And listen, when he is in the house, and and again, my heart is for our church. Listen, we want to have the reputation, not that, that we're a great church or that we do ministry a certain way. We want to have the reputation that Jesus is in the house. That's the only reputation that matters. That God is in this place as he is other places in local churches where people gather together to hear God's word and experience the healing that Jesus Christ has to offer. And so the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus, his name is highly exalted. God tells us in verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Christ, and hath given him a name which is above every name. There's only one name that matters, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And listen, if our desire is anything other than the fame of Jesus, we've got the wrong desire. And any, any Christian, uh, uh, any any pastor, any church that has any other desire other to magnify the name of Jesus Christ, they have the wrong desire. And, and listen, in our modern Christian culture, there is no shortage of famous people. But sometimes the, the fame of modern Christian authors and pastors and even churches supersedes the fame of Jesus Christ. There's only one name that needs to be known in the house and it's the name of Jesus. And, and, and we strive and, and pray that his name is glorified in this place. That, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And so the Bible says in, in, in Mark chapter 2, first couple of verses, verses 1 and 2, that, that, that they were gathered together in the house. And they were gathered together because of the fame of Jesus. But they were also gathered together to hear the word of God. Well, that's kind of what's happening right now, isn't it? Now, I don't know why you came this morning, maybe for the donuts and the coffee, and that's cool. I mean, we have those. But, but really, people should gather to, 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 because of the fame of Christ and because he's going to reveal his word. And, and again, that's, that's the way you have church. And, and, and just like in Mark chapter 2, there was a multitude in attendance in the house that day. And, and that multitude actually could be broken down into a few different groups of people. There were a multitude of people that wanted to hear Jesus because... They had experienced him in in Mark chapter 1, and they knew what he did, and they heard his teaching, and they were like, man, okay, we've heard the the Pharisees teach, we've heard the scribes teach, but we ain't never heard it like that. And And it drew people back to hear the word of God. Well, they were also in attendance that day. The scribes, they were some of the religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. The scribes had the responsibility of copying the scriptures. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20 says that they were very righteous. They were as righteous as the Pharisees. They were the, the, the conservative Jewish religious leaders. As we get into that story, what we're going to see are those scribes were just sitting there. They weren't really participating. As a matter of fact, they were reasoning in their heart. They were critical of Christ. And then the third audience of people that show up in the house are the ones that have needs. So you have people that want to hear God's word. You have religious people that are critical of Christ and even call him a blasphemer. And then you have people that show up with with a need because here's this man that has the palsy 
And four people brought him to the house where Jesus was. And, and isn't that normally like how it works in, in church? I mean, that's, that's how it works. I mean, this, these same audiences of people probably are in attendance this morning and probably in attendance in every other local church that's meeting. And so, and so we have a great picture this morning. And what we see is that Jesus preached the word. And again, this is the first point, and then we'll get to the meat, but, but I just want to help you understand that when we gather, when we assemble, for Jesus' fame's sake, the desire ought to be to hear God's word, and that's how Jesus did ministry. Jesus did ministry by preaching the word of God. We see it in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Verse 21, and he went through Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue, and he taught, and they were astonished at his doctrine. Mark chapter 1 and verse 38, he said unto them, let us go into the next town that I may preach there also, for there therefore came I forth. I, I came to preach God's word. And, and, and then in verse 39, he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and he cast out devils. And so we see, although Jesus did miracles, he certainly did heal people. He didn't heal every person. We know that from the Bible. We, we know uh, that, that we have sickness today and, and health issues today. But the main point of his ministry was preaching and teaching. It was preaching God's word. It was revealing the healing and the miracles solidified the fact that Jesus was indeed God in the flesh. And so, and so we need to learn this morning that when we gather together in the house of God, when we gather together because of the fame of Jesus' name, the preaching of God's word has to take priority. The, the preaching of God's word has to have the preeminence and the priority in our lives. It needs to be expounded correctly and biblically and frequently in our church, okay? And so, and so that's the point. Jesus' fame spreads when he's in the house. Number two, as we get further into the text, look at verse three. It says, they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And they could not come nigh unto, the, unto him, unto Christ, for the press. In other words, the, the room was so full, these people that, that were bringing this man couldn't even get to Jesus. So they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And so what we're going to see now is the tremendous faith of these four that bring this person to Christ. And so in point number two in your notes, when Jesus is in the house... Your faith can have an impact in the lives of others. Your faith can have an impact in the lives of others. And as, as we go through this portion of the text, there are some ministry principles that I think are very practical for us. We want to make sure that we are effective ministers of the gospel, that we are effective ministries, ministers of the Great Commission, and, and you need principles to guide that. And the first principle is this, ministry principle number one, it takes teamwork to bring other people to Christ. It takes teamwork to bring other people to Christ. And what we see in this story is we see four people who've partnered together for a common goal. They partnered together for a common purpose. This man sick of the palsy, he was paralytic. He couldn't walk under his own power. He was restricted to lying on his bed. He was, he was bed bound, if you will. Uh, you know, I had the privilege of working for about 20 years in, in physical therapy, uh, most of which was in this city, and uh, sometimes in hospitals and nursing homes, a lot of outpatient stuff. 
but, but I, I, I treated people very literally uh, that were bed bound. You know, they couldn't do anything. And so they laying in their bed, we would try to do exercise and we would try to get them stronger so that at least they could sit up and try to get out of the bed. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, this is a devastating uh, disease that has affected this man. He can't walk. He's restricted to just lying on his bed, and, and ultimately, short of a miracle, he's going to die. He's going to die like that. Now, this is, this is a great picture for us of, of the consequence of sin in our life, the effect of sin, but it's also a great picture of evangelism, because here are four people that are burdened enough for this one sick, this one sick man to bring him to the one that could heal him. And, and so it is a great picture of evangelism. It's a great picture of teamwork and ministry. These four were willing to be inconvenienced. I mean, have you ever carried anybody in a bed any distance? You better have one on every corner, right? There's probably a reason there were four of them. There's probably a reason there were four, not three and not two. There's probably a reason. And, and these four were willing to be inconvenienced. They were willing to bear the burden of this man, they were willing to get creative because even in their attempt, they're going to find that it was difficult to get this man to Christ. Instead of giving up, they got creative and, and they're going to skip ahead in the line. And actually, the Lord was okay with that because I think interrupting a service to see somebody get healed was, was okay. And again, we're going to see that this physical healing is a picture of salvation. And actually, the more important thing is, is what got healed first, and we'll get there in just a second. But this is the way to bring others to Christ. We have to do it together. And we have to bring people to Christ the way they are. You know, they didn't wait for this man to be able to walk to bring him to Christ. And sometimes in our churches and in ministry, we, 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 we get the horse before the cart, and we want people cleaned up and shiny and perfect and can come to church with the right clothing and the right language and without the habits or the sin so that somehow we can introduce them to Christ. That's not real biblical ministry. Biblical ministry is meeting people where they are. It's meeting them when they're broken down and incapable of doing anything else. And so God help us to have the burden that these four had, man. It, they worked together for a common goal. Now listen, let me make the point that although God does, I think the pattern biblically is, is teamwork, God can use you individually you know, God used Philip in Acts chapter 8 as, as an evangelist, and he wasn't a part of a missionary team. But you see individuals that God uses. I want you to understand they are the exception to the rule. They prove the rule because God can still use you by yourself. But please understand, listen, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. When, when, when the first missionaries were sent out of a, a, a local New Testament church, Acts chapter 13, it was Paul and Barnabas. It was a team of people. As we read through the book of Acts, Paul always ministered with a team of people. We have to learn to do ministry together. So what that means is when you walk out of here, don't feel the, the weight of the world and the burden of the world solely on your shoulders to reach the lost. You need to feel the burden and you need to find somebody that can, can co-labor with you to, to accomplish it together. Does that make sense? We just finished the book of Colossians, and that last chapter had name after name after name after name of co-laborers with Christ. Who are you doing ministry with? Okay, you have to, you have to find someone to do ministry with. And then, and then the second ministry principle is this. Listen, 
We must be willing to remove barriers in order to get people to Christ. We must be willing to remove barriers in order to bring people to Christ. These four were willing to break the roof of the house to get this sick man to Christ. I mean, they showed up, but they saw that the house was full, the door was jammed, nobody could get in, and it would have been real easy at that point to give up. But they didn't give up, man. They got creative and said, look, we got a real problem, and there's the real Son of God inside. And somehow we have to introduce these people together. And, And so they got creative. And again, doctrinally, listen, this house represents the house of Israel, full of their religious pride and their traditions and their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some things in the house of Israel that need to be broken so they can experience healing. But let me also tell you that that house is a picture of the church. And there are some things in our churches that need to be broken so we can see people connect with Jesus Christ. Because if we get too concerned with our religion and our, all the things that we do in ministry, and listen, there are, there are important things, but what barriers are there in this house that are keeping people from coming to a right relationship with Christ? And whatever that thing is, we, we probably need to, to give it some attention. It probably needs to be uncovered, and it may need to be broken. If ministry ever prevents people from connecting with Christ, the ministry processes that we have, well, then, then they probably need to change. <laughs> because doing ministry without connecting with Christ is, is just empty religion. That's all it is. And so let me also, let me also make the point just because there's a full house doesn't mean needs are being met. And we had better make sure that we measure ministry success the right way. We don't measure ministry success by the number of people in the pew, well, chairs in this case, okay? We don't, we don't measure ministry success by how, how full the house can get. We measure, we measure ministry success by lives that are transformed. And without, without transformation, what's the point? It doesn't matter if we have a room full of people or multiple buildings full of It doesn't matter. Remember, Jesus Christ is preaching the word of God. And, and, and listen, something amazing is about to unfold. And, and this man is going to get what he needs. And uh, the Lord is gracious, okay? And then ministry principle number three is this. And, and we get it out of verse 5. Let me read verse 5. We'll, we'll kind of skip ahead to verse 5 and then we'll backtrack. The Bible says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, in other words, they saw, he saw the faith of the four doing everything that they could to bring this man to him. I mean, Jesus is preaching and all of a sudden the roof opens. Okay, that, that would be a little awkward. <laughs> Probably would interrupt the live stream, I'll be honest with you. (laughs) Probably would mess the preacher up a little bit. That would be a little awkward. The roof opens, and then down comes a bed with a man on it, right in front of the Lord as he's preaching. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Okay, well, Jesus, what he saw wasn't an inconvenience. He didn't see a problem. He didn't see a limiting factor in his message. What he saw was those four people's faith. That's what he saw. And so the, fourth, or the third ministry principle is this. We must learn to minister in faith 
and not in the flesh. And the reason, the reason that he said that he saw their faith is because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Romans 10, 17 is the verse, if you don't know that. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if these men are operating in faith, they're operating based on what they've, been, what they've learned and what God's word has revealed to them. And they're just acting on what they know from the word of God. Mark chapter 1. They're operating in faith. They obviously had heard God's word for themselves. They believed enough to actually do something with it. And so in my notes, probably not in your notes, but in my notes, I wrote this statement down. Faith is not actionless. Faith is not actionless. Now, faith is not a work. Ephesians chapter 2 makes that very clear, verses 8 and 9. But I want you to understand that faith is not actionless. actionless. As a matter of fact, when we read Hebrews 11, the famous chapter of faith, right? The hall of fame of faith. And it talks about by faith, this person, and then there's something that they did. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham went out. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, and on and on and on. And the point is, faith is never actionless. Faith is never actionless. Can God see our faith, or do we just do things in the flesh, not based on the authority of the Word of God? These men were operating under faith because they understood God's word. They found the man. They carried the man uh, to the house where Jesus was. They exercised teamwork. They realized the limitations. The house is full. There's no room. They climbed on the roof. They broke through the roof, and they lowered the man to Christ. That's how you do ministry. What you're getting this morning is ministry training 101. This is it. You're part of ministry tools and training, and you didn't even know it this morning. This is how you do ministry. Number three, when Jesus is in the house, point number five, or verse number five, forgiveness is available. When Jesus is in the house, forgiveness is available. And and again, man, God help us to be a church that ministers like this. The Bible says in verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, son, get up off thy bed. Is it? That's, That's not what he said. He said... Son, thy, thy sins be forgiven thee. Wait a second. I, I thought he was sick. I thought he had the palsy. Yeah, he sure, he sure did. But he had something else. And, and, and what we're seeing here, again, doctrinally, there is a, a tremendous picture with Israel and tribulation. And, and I don't want to go into it this morning because we'll lose the track of thought. But if you go to James chapter 5, uh, it's on the screen. What we're seeing literally played out in Mark chapter 2 is James chapter 5. Jesus saw the faith of the four, not the faith of the sick man. This is not salvation by proxy. In other words, you can't have enough faith for someone else to get saved or for someone else to receive the gospel. It does show us that these four had faith that Jesus could heal this man. James chapter 5, verse 14 says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anoint him, the sick man, with, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now listen, 
When you read James chapter 5, by the way, James is written to the 12 tribes of Israel. It tells you that in chapter 1. So it's not written to the church, although there is some application we pull from the book of James without a doubt. Please understand the doctrinal significance of the book of James. It's written to the 12 tribes of Israel that are scattered, and and they will be scattered again during the Great Tribulation. And, And so this passage is talking about the leadership and the prayers of the leadership, the elders of the church... Their prayers are what save the sick. Well, that's very interesting. Because every modern faith healer today and every false prophet and false faith healer would say say that a healing fails because you don't have enough faith as as a sick person that needs healing. And yet in James chapter 5, it's the faith of the elders that actually brings about the healing. So, again, I don't want to be a jerk, but... You might want to listen to what people say and then, and then read the Bible. Because the Bible says that the prayer of the faith shall save the sick. And he's talking about the prayer of those that are the elders of the church, that are supposed to pray over the sick who doesn't even know how to pray for himself. Okay. And again, there, there is a connection between sickness and sins, especially for the nation of Israel. You can go back and read the book of Job. Uh, you, can, you can read uh, the book of James, again, in the right context. Uh, understanding that it's written to the 12 tribes scattered. Healing is always connected with the remission of sin. Sickness in the Old Testament is always associated with sin for the nation of Israel. It does have a direct application to the nation of Israel, but I want you to understand, Paul was sick his entire life in ministry after he, res- he, he responded to the, uh, the Damascus mo- uh, Road revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, he had, uh, he had beatings and sufferings and sickness and weakness, and he says, I'm glorying in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God allowed sickness and weakness in his life to keep him humble. And so again, for maybe those of you new or or haven't been through our training process, you need to understand, in the Bible, Israel is called God's son. And and again, I'm just making the point, there is a doctrinal connection here. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And when Jesus Christ looks at that man with the palsy, he doesn't say, sir, your sins are forgiven. He says, son. He calls him his son. And again, it, it, it is a picture to the nation of Israel. This is your spiritual condition. Because I'm in the house and you're rejecting it. But again, there is a practical application. And here's the practical application for us. Ministry principle number four. As ministers of of the gospel, we have to discern and trust the Lord to discern between perceived needs and real needs. We need to learn to discern between perceived needs and real needs. Now, the perceived need for this man was that he needed to be healed from the palsy, right? I mean, that, that's the obvious need. I mean, this guy's sick, he's on his bed, he can't move, he can't walk. If something doesn't happen, well, he'll die like that. That's the perceived need. And listen, that's a horrible situation. I mean, listen, I've seen that thing firsthand, and I've seen the result of that firsthand. That's a horrible situation. But in, in the grand scheme of God's economy, that's a perceived need. Real needs, and, and in this man's case, his real need was the forgiveness of his sin. Hello? Uh, 
Are we sure we get that point? <laughs> well, you mean he's on the bed? Listen, he could be on that bed and die and go to hell. He could be off that bed and die and go to hell. Hello? Listen, the real need, and it's easy for all, we all do this. We think that our perceived needs are reality, but in the scope of eternity, they're temporal. Because our, whatever our perceived need is, our real need is the forgiveness of our sin. Because sin is a real thing that affects every human on this planet. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And you may not all have the palsy, and I may not have the palsy, but we have all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. We are sinners. That's who we are. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and that man was Adam. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And I just have to make sure that we understand whatever the perceived needs that we think are real in our life and in the lives of other people, there are some real needs, and one of them is we have a sin problem that only Jesus Christ can address. What about world hunger? I'm compassionate toward world hunger. I'm compassionate about people that don't have clean water. I'm compassionate toward people that don't have medical. But there's a greater need called sin that affects every one of us. And if we don't make sure that, that our ministry focus is right, we will spend a lot of time and a lot of money and effort and resources meeting perceived needs, and hell will be filling up. And so in your notes, spiritual healing is more important than physical healing. And, and if ever... If ever our churches need to hear that message, it is now. Because we think that somehow the church's responsibility is to keep everybody healthy and keep them from getting COVID and make sure we're not transmitting viruses. And listen, I'm compassionate toward all that. Listen, I had it. I got it. A couple of you have had it. Listen, we, we, we've experienced it. But can I tell you something? Spiritual healing is more important and more eternal than physical healing. And I'm telling you, if we don't understand this, listen, Jesus Christ, when he saw the man, knew that he had the palsy, but he knew he was a sinner and he needed his sins forgiven because he knew there was a penalty for sin. And, and listen, later in the story, the Lord heals the man of his palsy. But even if he didn't, the man's sins were forgiven. Hello? Even if he didn't, the man's sins are forgiven. You see, it's the difference between temporal and eternal. Physical healing may offer a lifetime of relief, but can I just remind you that this lifetime that we have been given by God is temporal on this planet. As a matter of fact, Psalm 90 and verse 10, it's probably, it is on the screen. The Bible tells us that the days of our years are threescore and ten our three-score years and ten. That's the old King James way of saying 70. And if by reason of strength they be four-score years, 80 years, yet their strength is labor and sorrow, listen, for it's soon cut off, and we fly away. 
And can I just tell you that, that, listen, we do pray for healing. We believe God still heals people. But can I just tell you, even if he does or doesn't, it's temporal. It's temporal. James tells us in in chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Boy, don't we have it backwards in our mindset? Even as Christians, we forget. We forget. We, We lose the lens of eternity with our perceived needs. And sometimes we forget what we really need. Second Corinthians, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but Second Corinthians talks about our outward man perishing, but our inward man is renewed day by day. And, and, and Paul says, listen, that's the struggle we have as a Christian. This outward man is going to perish until they put it in the ground. But he says, you know, that's just for a moment. That's just for a moment. In other words, this outward man perishing is just for a moment, and it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I mean, he says our sufferings are light affliction. They're they're for but a moment. And God is, is really interested in the exceeding and eternal weight of glory that awaits all of us. That's that's the point. That's the point. And so, okay, what what do we do? Okay, we, we want to be good ministers. We don't we don't want to not recognize their legitimate needs in people's lives, but their perceived needs many times supersede their, their real need. And we got to make sure that people understand, no matter what's happening in your life, we're all sinners. And we need redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and we need our sins forgiven by the only one that can forgive them. And, and you know, I, I don't know where you are this morning, but, but that's a very serious thought for all of us. Man, when is the moment that you realized you were in sin and needed a Savior to save you from it? I was 21 years old when someone shared that message with me. You know, I was in college. My best friend shared the message of Christ with me, took the Bible and, and made me realize that the Bible said I was a sinner. I didn't take offense to that because I had a pretty good track record at the age of 21. And I realized, yeah, you know what God said is true. Well, it's true whether I agreed or not. And I realized that because of my sin, I deserve death, hell, and eternity separated from God. He was a friend doing the best he could to bring me to the one that could, that could forgive me. That's what he did. In your notes, look, physical healings. Listen, we, we have a Bible full of physical healings. We, we even see apostolic gifts early in the book of Acts that, that accomplish that. You need to keep that in context. Physical healings were a sign to validate Jesus' deity. It just proved very visibly that who he said he was was who he said he was. And it says in verse 6, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? That's right. <laughs> I told you again, man, they were sitting in church, they're, they're critical of the message, and you know, not that anybody's that this morning, but... They didn't, they didn't want to recognize who Christ was, right? And, and, and listen, uh, again, he, he did that sign to validate his deity. He didn't have to, but again, with the nation of Israel, the Jews require a sign, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. And so listen, you don't need signs and wonders today because you have the full canon of Scripture. 
The Bible is complete. Listen, John chapter 20 and verses uh, 30 and 31, and I, I, didn't, I didn't put this on the screen, but, but at the end of John's gospel, John's gospel is really cool. All of them are cool. John's gospel is really cool. At the end of John's gospel, he says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, he's talking about the account of, of his gospel account. But can I just say they're not, there's a lot of stuff Jesus did that aren't, that's not written in the Bible. Okay? But he says... These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. In other words, what John is saying is, stop looking for the signs and start searching the scriptures because they reveal who Christ is. They reveal who Christ is. You, again, we believe God heals, but, but again, the apostolic gifts and signs, that has ceased according to the Word of God. We need to stop looking for signs. We need to start searching the Scriptures because these are written so that we can know Christ is the Son of God. Okay. And we see Jesus' de deity demonstrated. How, how is it demonstrated? Number one, Jesus knew their thoughts. Well, that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> he knows yours too, by the way. He already knows what you're thinking today. You're thinking, man, that bearded guy in the front needs to get done so I can get lunch. Okay, he knows that. And the bearded guy agrees, okay? Jesus knew their thoughts. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Word of God is able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And, and, and many times when we quote Hebrews chapter 4, we're, we're talking about the, the inscripturated Word of God. You know, the scriptures, the word of God, they're alive and, and they're sharp and, and we can sit through a sermon and, and man, listen, man, I've sat through messages at my home church and thought, man, did my pastor like tell me all week long? Why in the world? Everything he's saying, he's reading my mail, man. He spent every week, every day this week with me because he's preaching exactly what I've been living. And he had no more clue what I had done this week, but you know who did? God and, and God was able to discern the thoughts and intentions of my heart because the Word of God is alive. The inscripturated Word of God is alive, but can I just tell you, the incarnate Word of God, Jesus in the flesh, who is the Word of God, John chapter 1, well, He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. And so He, he demonstrates His deity through knowing their thoughts. Number two, Jesus told them their thoughts. Ugh. Shoot. Because it's good if you keep it on the inside, right? I mean, we think stuff we would never say out loud. I mean, of course. Working on a car yesterday, and I smashed my finger, and I did not say anything bad. But I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I didn't think some things, okay? So <laughs> Jesus proved his deity because he actually told them what they were thinking. And uh, he's God. God knows our thoughts. Number three, and this is important, Jesus proved his deity because he forgives sin. He forgives sin, right? I mean, the, the, the scribe said, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins? But God only. Yeah, that's right. And he did. He did because he's God. And then number four, listen, Jesus does heal. He does heal. He heals this man. But oh, by the way, he heals him after his sins are forgiven. And again, there's no guarantee. We always pray for healing. We trust God can heal, but God sometimes works in our life in ways that we don't understand. We may be like the Apostle Paul. God may allow 
infirmity and difficult and difficulty and sickness in our life to make us depend on his strength when we do ministry. I mean, because if we don't have those things, we depend on our strength to do ministry. And again, we see, we see the fact that the Lord is he's God because he's powerful over physical creation. He's powerful over our body. He's able to heal. He is the great physician. I'm thankful for doctors, nurses. I've worked in the medical field for a long time, but, but there's, there's, one, there's one great physician, and his name is Jesus. So verse 11, let's pick it up, and we'll, we'll finish right here. Actually, actually, let's go back to the text. See, I, I got to preaching, and I lost my place. Look at verse 10. So, so Jesus says in verse 9, I'm going to just keep walking you back. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> and verse 1. Okay. Uh, Verse 9, you know, the, the scribes spoke up and said, okay, this, this guy's blaspheming. You know, he's not God. He's making himself equal with God. Well, he is God. Verse 9, Jesus says to them, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed and walk? Jesus says, okay, which one's easier? Let me pull you guys that don't believe. Which one's easier? Should I tell him his sins are forgiven, or should I tell him to get off the bed and walk? And, of course, they didn't answer. He didn't give them a chance to answer. Verse 10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say to thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. Remember, I said Jesus performed this miracle to prove his deity. He said, I'm going to do this so that you may know that I have the power to forgive sin. I'm going to do this miracle as a sign to prove my deity because this is not the point. That's the point that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin. And so as we close down, the last point you notes is this. Listen, when Jesus is in the house, God is made famous. Because, because verse 12 says, listen, this man, he immediately arose. He took up the bed. He went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed. I mean, everybody in the house were like, what? I mean, they saw the roof open. They saw the dude come down. They saw these four guys, you know, hanging out. I don't know if they stayed on the roof or not. You know, but they saw it all and they were amazed and they glorified God saying, we never saw it on this fashion. They glorified God. Actually, isn't that where we started this message? When the Lord's in the house, his fame is known, Right? And, and this thing is just a cycle of really what ministry is supposed to look like. And here's the last point. Ministry principle number five. Transformed lives bring God to glory. Transformed lives bring God to glory. You see, you see, meeting Jesus and having your sins forgiven produces a changed life. And again, this man had his sins forgiven before he ever got off of that bed but as the Lord healed him, it's a picture for us. It's a type of, of, of transformation. Listen, he, he, he didn't have to stay on his bed any longer. He was able to stand. He took his bed and he went forth in front of all of those people. He wasn't a burden to those people that had brought him in any longer. His life was changed. And, and can I just tell you, if you really met Christ... If you really had your sin forgiven, your life's been transformed. I didn't say you became religious. I didn't say you, you learned a Christian language. I didn't say that you got all of a sudden churchy. 
You see, if you've met Christ, your life has been transformed. And listen, your life now in Christ ought to have an effect on other people. And depending on how dirty your sinful life was before you came to Christ, people will see an immediate transformation. Uh, You know, I've shared my testimony a lot from this pulpit, and I'll continue to do so, but, you know, I was 21 years old when I got saved and and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and God immediately began to work in my life. I couldn't string together a sentence without four-letter words that were non-church words, all, all of them. <laughs> and uh, I just had a problem with profanity coming out of my mouth. I had a problem with lust. I had a problem with relationships. I had anger. I had all kinds of issues, man. You know why? Because I was a sinner. And, and immediately, God began to transform my life. So much so that people started noticing, man, you talk different. You live different. You, you're not doing what you used to do. Why? What, what, what's the deal? Well, the deal is I met Jesus. The deal is that he's working in my life to, to make me more like him. Not in my flesh and in my power, but by his Holy Spirit and by his word. There's a transformation, and other people should notice that, and other people should give God the glory. Can I just tell you that our, our doors are open to any sinner that needs salvation, no matter how dirty. But when they meet Christ, when they meet Christ, there ought to be a a change. There ought to be a a difference. There ought to be a working out of their salvation. There ought to be an amazement that look what God did in this person's life. And listen, when we take up our bed and we walk the way God wants us to walk, well, it should cause people to glorify God. Because they, they, they look and they say, man, you know what? That dude couldn't even walk. And four dudes had to bring him to church. But he met Christ And he walked up out of here different. And God gets the glory for all of that. It's not the preacher. It's not the church. It's not the ministry teams. People should say, I have never seen it done like that. I've never seen what God just did in that person's life. And that gives us hope that God can do something in our life. And that also gives us hope that God wants to reach an abundance of people that need to know Christ and to have their sins forgiven. Well, let's close our our Bibles as we... As we consider these things, the first question I would ask you this morning is this. Have you had your sins forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ? And what I mean by that is, can you remember a time where you came personally face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ? You realized that you were a sinner. You realized that there was nothing you could do in your flesh to save yourself. You're like that man on that bed. And you needed God's help to save you from your sin. Listen, I I don't know your story, and again, I don't want to be weird. Well, I can't help that. But but if you're here today, and you can't remember a time coming to the Lord Jesus Christ as a sinner in need of being saved, I want to extend that invitation to you today. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I would ask you to consider if you're spiritually like that man on that bed, incapable of helping yourself, would you ask him to save you? That's all you have to do. Romans chapter 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died for us, that God raised him from the dead, if we we believe that and we ask him that he'll save us from our sin, 
That's what we're asking Christ to do at, at the moment of salvation. We're not just praying a prayer. We're asking Jesus Christ to save us from our, our sin. And if you've never done that, done that I want to I extend the invitation, no matter what your perceived need is. Because you've got a real need to be saved from your sin. Number two, as we, as we study this story, we see a lot of ministry principles. Who are you partnering with to bring other people to Christ? Who, who are you partnering with? Who are your ministry teammates? And, 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 and included in that question is, who are the people that you see that need a relationship with Christ? You see, sometimes we get so busy in church life and in ministry that we forget not everyone is saved. We, we walk right past the people on the bed, man. The people dying in their sin. And man, we got it. We got ours. And we head off to church. And man, sometimes the house is full. And we just need to hear a good sermon to get through the week. And I get all of that. But if we ever lose our heart for the lost, man, we won't bring God glory. He is still in the saving business. And we need to be burdened for those that don't know Christ. Amen? So let's bow our heads. Let's just bow our heads and we're going to pray for, for just a few minutes. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, I pray for this room and I pray for those watching that, that may not know you. Lord, if there'd be someone here today that would say, you know what, I've never, I've never come to Christ as a sinner in need of salvation. But, but today I recognize I need him to save me from my sin. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Jay, that's me. Again, we'll never embarrass you in this place. But if you're here today and you would say, Jay, that's me. I need to be saved from my sin. And I have some other needs in my life, but, but the truth is those are temporal. And my sin is eternal. And I need the Lord to intervene in my life. And I want to ask him to save me from my sin. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Let me pray for you. See your hand. Anyone else that would say, that's me, Jay. I need to ask the Lord to save me from my sin. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I know I'm saved, but, but I haven't really been pursuing the people that God intends me to pursue. I don't have any partners in ministry. I don't, I don't have a burden for the lost. But today I want to commit to start seeing people the way God sees them. I want to look past the perceived needs and I want to help people to understand they have a real need to have their sins forgiven. I want to be used by God to minister the gospel to people in every walk of life that God may take me. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, man, that's me, Jay. I, I want to be that kind of effective minister. Father.